you know what? I do love those intro credits that you've done that. They are so cool. Every time I see them, I just think they're fantastic. Well, good evening and welcome to episode number 282 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and I'm back after my two weeks leave doing uh, various discos and weddings and weddings and discos and well you know all those things that DJs love to do on a Friday and Saturday night so hello to everyone who's joined us and uh, welcome uh, with me in the studio as always to the man who pushes all the right buttons I should say on the touch screen it's Matt Smith <laughs> you're a little bit out of practice are you I know it's, it's been a few stumbling weeks. over his words <laughs> yes. hello mate nice to have you back I know I t- I, honestly I've so missed you guys really really badly you know when you're doing you know when you do in a gig, Matt, and you, you sort of think, oh, it's going to check in, get the phone out. Right, right. Yeah, YouTube, okay, you shouldn't do going. that. I know, I know. You I shouldn't know. do that. It's uh, The yeah, customers it... can't see me, trust me. <laughs> right, okay. I, I could also argue, perhaps you need to get out more. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably... <laughs> well, that, yeah. Anyway. Oh, anyway, um, so joining us as well this week, and uh, he's uh, another lord of all things tech, it's Neville Bounds. Yes, hello. Hope you're well. Good to see you back, Carlos, and... Uh, um, well, it's going to be another fun-packed show. Lots to put in uh, this week. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to it, as always. How have things been with you, Nev? How's, uh, how's the banana? Anyway, moving on. Um... <laughs> OK, we'll move on. Um, how's the Mac? <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I've had... Uh, the, the brand new car is, what is it, four weeks old and it's in the garage because it's got a faulty injector, so it doesn't really work properly. So I am driving around in a loan car, uh, which is not a Ferrari Dodge Viper? or a Lambo. No, okay. no, uh, <laughs> no. Now, obviously, now obviously we're, you know, we're, we're, we're all very aware you've got a very nice car. It's a, you know, it's a little Focus ST, isn't it? It's a, it's a bit of quality, I think, is for want of a better word. So obviously, because it's gone to, for understandable reasons, it's gone to a very re- respectable garage. Um, uh, now, presumably, the, the loan car will also be fabulous. Well, it's not, no. It's a one-litre Corsa, and, um, yeah, it's a bit like a lawnmower, really. Um, but uh, it will do for the next few days to, to get me around uh, until I get my other car back. So that, Well, absolutely, yes. Uh, a part of me feels guilty now because you've now got to take a trip down to Biggin Hill at the weekend <laughs> in it. Uh, but there we are. <laughs> I think we'll have to see how we get. We yeah, <laughs> have, uh, I, I, you've been thrashing the car too much. I think that's what it is, Nev. You know, up and down the uh, local local uh, seafronts with the um, tunes blaring from the uh, right. From okay, the has, he got, has he got a cherry bomb on his exhaust? <laughs> is he <laughs> yeah. making all the damn yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Armando's uh, gone completely I know. out here. Like, what the let's, hell let's is get, let's get yeah. him on <laughs> And also joining us this week is uh, our fourth awesome co-host of the show. It's the magical Armando. Oh, thanks, Carlos. Uh, really happy to be back. We do have the whole gang here today. Uh, per our contract, we can only do this once a month where uh, Nev and I are on the <laughs> yeah, same yeah, show. Absolutely. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We mu- really must talk to you about that injunction, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, good, to, uh, good to see you, Armando. How have things good been with you? you? How's, the, uh, how's the flying going? You've been uh, whizzing around the air lately? Uh, yeah, been doing a little bit of flying here and there in this uh, Charlotte area. And uh, the weather here definitely takes some getting used to. Every afternoon is thunderstorms. It's very much like Florida flying weather, where uh, by about 3 p.m. You're, you have to start dodging thunderstorms. And 
that gets a little interesting when dropping skydivers from 11,000 feet. So. Ouch. Yeah. You, you haven't thrown uh, thrown the lovely wife from a plane again uh, oh, lately. For sake. <laughs> I did hear. I heard all about it. Yeah, and I still have to put together a little video for that. Yes, but yes, the do. best part about it is she said she wanted to do it again. Woohoo! What's wrong what, with not you? throw you out? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever the done stipula- it? The stipulation was that I would go with her. Right. Hey. Have, have you ever actually done it? I have. I've done a couple tandems, uh, and then I did a couple in the military where uh, my first tandem ever was in Interlaken, Switzerland. And my one of my good friends, Mark, and I were riding our, riding our Ducatis through Switzerland. Oh, listen, and- listen. It's like yeah. some kind of, like, you know, they should hire you on a t- tourist board, for goodness sake. It's that whole sort of, like, that's, well, wow. Or maybe I'd just become, like, a travel planner or something. But ah, I like that. It was that. awesome. We, I skydived out of a, a helicopter over Interlaken, and it was awesome. That was my first time. But, there's a small thing that alarms me about the idea of that, because it's, like, it's one of those scenarios where you want to make sure you don't <laughs> want to jump up say. first yeah, I before you then that. fall down. <laughs> just, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you want to get that departure of the aircraft just right. <laughs> so welcome uh, everyone who's joined us on this uh, Friday evening. Chat room's uh, filling up nicely. Masha, hello to you, Masha. We've got Chris Griggs, uh, Falco. We've got uh, James Candraw. Hello to you, James. Richard Adams, Jenny in Rome, who was sitting here last week she in was. my seat. Yeah. Seat's nice I warm. must say the view to- viewers sort of deteriorated somewhat since oh, last week. Oh, thank you. Love you too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've got uh, podcast royalty in the chat room as well this evening. Captain Nick. Ooh. Is uh, is joined us in there, Lisbon Nelson? Hello to you, uh, Nelson. Hope you are uh, well. So it is. Uh, let's just have a look at the. T- oh, it's the sixteenth of August, and it's coming up to ten past seven here in the UK. So um, you're right, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm worried you've forgotten something. It's the being no, the start no, no. of the month. Yes, I know. I know. Oh, okay. Sorry, I haven't, I haven't got to that bit yet. Oh, right, sorry. Honestly, I read the show. I know I've been away for two weeks. Yeah, but I was worried forgotten about everything. No. It was much. <laughs> So uh, we have got lots of stuff to get through in tonight's show. We've got, uh, obviously, all the rundown of the latest weekly news. And there's been a few good things happening this week. Some uh, bad as we've, well, And some fair, bad, yeah. yeah. We've also got uh, a segment coming up in the show, which is uh, a short interview that I took uh, with uh, one of the guys at the Bristol Aerospace, or Aerospace Bristol, uh, when I was there a few weeks back, uh, having a look around the museum, so that's coming up later. But first, we have got some housekeeping to do, and it's the beginning of the month, so uh, we're going to hand things over to Nev. Yes, of course, we cannot do this show without your support. So uh, it's time for the dirty music and uh, ought to talk about all of the people that have contributed over the last four weeks. So thank you very much to Adam Spink, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, a new contributor in the form of Chris Griggs. Thanks very much indeed, Chris. It's from uh, Eric Graves, uh, Evan Shue, Graham Haley, Jacob Darlington-Brown, Jeff Ward, Jonathan Warner, Jordan Rose, Liz Piper, Masha, Matt Caton, Matt Donemeyer, Myla, uh, Owen, uh, Neil Lamborn, Nicholas Hewitt, Nico, uh, Philip Labe, Ray Williams, Reuben Wells, Ryan Harper, Stuart Backer, Stephanie Plummer, Steve Andretz, Stuart Black, and also... Fantastic contributions from Jenny in Rome and Tony Stubbings. Thank you, one and all, for all of your fantastic uh, contributions to our fund. 
very yeah, much. Yeah, it does really, really help uh, to uh, push your show forward. We've got loads of content coming up this year uh, in the uh, in the kind of production phase or mm. the pre-production phase. Well, of course, we've moment. been using uh, using the funds a lot for some mate. Obviously, as you could probably upgrades. see from behind us and stuff, there's been some very major upgrades uh, to the studio. Yeah, um, this this is not a cloth anymore. This no, is no, actual no. wall. Yeah, with, with green <laughs> it's screen. It's grade A wall. Yeah. That's what that is yeah, right behind it. you. Yeah, and I must say, it's working a lot better. It is. Yeah. So yeah. if you uh, if you want to become a patron of the show, you listen to the show and you love the show, and you uh, want to uh, help. Uh, push uh, push us along uh, and you can afford it obviously if you're doing flight training we don't want your money because we'd rather you fly aircraft and right. then come on the show as a guest yeah yeah but, uh, to that. <laughs> if you've got a few uh, few pennies laying around the floor uh, unlike if you were living with me because my wife Gemma is a magpie and anything I leave laying around the house tends to disappear it's the, it's the shiny stuff isn't yes. it yes yeah, yeah. but if you can take yourselves over to our website and you're in Patreon so much trouble that. for that I'm, I'm going to clip that and send it to her you realise that don't you <laughs> uh, I know I love that that sounded so sweet yeah, almost. Yes. It sounded so sweet until he finished. Yeah. I actually left her. I left her a note today before I left to come Did here you? to the studio because I'd left some change on the side. Right, and I put saying, a note what, saying, saying I know exactly how yeah. much is there. The, yeah. the, here we go, magpie. You know, lots of love. Wow. So um, that'll wow. be gone. Wow. When I get home. <laughs> okay. But yeah, take yourselves over to the website. All the links are there: Patreon and PayPal. And uh, yeah, we can uh, read out your name and uh, give you a little uh, shout out on the show. There we go. Oh, that was a bit abrupt. Yeah, all right. I pressed the wrong button. Don't start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we are, we are going to start the show then. Oh, as God, blind. We, do. we do something else now, Each don't week. we? <laughs> Stretch out the segue. Yeah, do please. Stretch out yeah. the segue. Uh, yeah. So we are going to find this show yeah. each week. Right, I'm ready. I'm ready. It's all good. With a rundown <laughs> of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Nev. Yes, I am. If you're ready, Armando. Ready to go. Matt. You know, seamless, seamless every single Let's week. Let's go. <laughs> I am so getting that automatic thing, so so that somebody else can help me, like when I'm doing. I know stuff we need like, a know in, yeah, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in Dubai, um, but no. <laughs> This is a story uh, on the bbc.co.uk website, and uh, you sh- most people would have seen this now. This broke, um, I think it was yesterday, actually, this this happened uh, yesterday afternoon. But this uh, is all regarding a certain Airbus A321 from uh, a Russian airline that had a, a slight issue yesterday, it's uh, safe to say, in uh, after takeoff. And this uh, the story goes, so the headline, Russia, and this is a bird strike, collision with gull forces plane to land in a field. So a Russian passenger plane made an emergency landing in a cornfield near Moscow after striking a flock of birds. At least 74 people were injured in the incident which saw the plane land with its engines off and landing gear retracted, emergency officials said. The Ural Airlines A321 was travelling to Simferopol in Crimea when it hit the flock of gulls shortly after takeoff, disrupting its engine. State media has dubbed the landing the Miracle on the Remensk. Hasn't got the same ring to it as the Miracle on the Hudson, has it really? No, not quite the same. <laughs> so this, uh, when this story broke, I caught this, um, it's actually in Sky News, I think it was before I, when I saw this come on, and uh, there was a whole host of videos that uh, that go with this which were taken by uh, passengers um, on the plane during the flight. And actually, I think there was about three or four videos. One was during the takeoff, one was uh, during the um, 
uh, the actual landing into the field and the other one was uh, after the plane was uh, being evacuated by the passengers and uh, I think Matt's got the he's got the video there because he's, he's good like that you see he's trying anyway. but uh, I, I saw the, yeah, saw the video which unfortunately was filmed in in the incorrect way as uh, Nev would say that's right but it's coming from the BBC, from the BBC so they've, BBC. they've done so they've d tried to do something about they've it to make thing, it yeah. Nev friendly it's alright but uh, <laughs> yeah the the actual crash the uh, one of the engines I think actually caught fire but it, the engine itself was ripped off when it uh, came down the field Armando any thoughts uh, obviously, this was, uh, I think it was the Seagulls. Yeah, so I was reading uh, the full article from our friends over at Af uh, Aviation Herald, and they had a little bit more amplifying information where they stated that the aircraft got up to about 750 feet when they ingested the, um, the flock of seagulls. And then it, it really is a testament to the Airbus airframe. So now this is, these are two Airbuses that have made these uh, emergency landings and have largely come out unscathed. Uh, so the the pilot elected to keep the gear up and land into this cornfield, which uh, you might, it, you know, a cornfield is pretty soft when you're in a Cessna, but uh, when you're in an, in an Airbus, it's, uh, it's going to be pretty hard landing anyway. So fantastic job by the pilots. Very, very well done where there was no post-crash fire. I think the some of the fire footage came out from the after the birds were ingested it, it flamed out and and uh, but it, when when the aircraft hit the ground it did so perfectly and everybody was able to evacuate via the slides and just a, a fantastic fantastic job it, even in a Cessna or or a light twin we always brief what altitude you're going to try to make the what we call the impossible turn back to the aircraft mm. uh, to the airport and uh usually in my brief de depending on the airplane but that's usually around 800 feet uh, anything below 800 feet you're just going to pick a path you know left or right about 30 degrees and you're just going to pick a field and you brief that every single time you fly so these pilots and this crew in this airbus got up to about 750 feet and did the exact right thing and just a, a fantastic piloting job by by uh, by the uh, by the crew, and then a, a great evacuation job by the cabin. Crew, I mean, so. I mean, surely though, in in defence of uh, of other airframes, for example, presumably this is more about the the ability and the skill of the pilots and the people involved versus the airframe. You see what I mean? I mean, I dare say this same crew, if they were all tight rated in a Boeing mm. of some description, as an example, I dare say that their skill would have generated a similar result. Absolutely. There, there's been many, many positive results from many airframes when they do emergency landings. And we always, or we often talk about the Swiss cheese model when things align for something to go wrong. Well, sometimes the Swiss cheese model works in your favor mm. and, and you have the right crew with the right aircraft with the right conditions and the right uh, environment where they had this field uh, to go into mm. and, and the Swiss cheese lines up in, in your favor and and has a result like this one. I mean, and again, it could, of course, it could have very easily been a different story if, for example, they were in a densely populated area with, without access to the Hudson, as an example. I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, as you say, the right, the right set of circumstances mm. with, you know, th this is the, the marvellous thing about such qualified crew. So a particular aircraft in question, this, uh, this A321, uh, first flew in 2003. Okay, so uh, it's, it's quite a fairly old aircraft, oh, but uh, 
Yeah, 2003. Mm -hmm. um, configured for 220 passengers, this one. But uh, yeah, there. It's a third owner plane. Three owners from new. This one. <laughs> have you have you got the logbook there? <laughs> yeah, is that one? You're right. Okay. It's busy. But no, it's it's good to see these guys done a good job getting this mm. aircraft in. And obviously, um, you know, there were injuries, but um, it, it could have been worse. Especially bearing in mind an aircraft taking off mm. is going to have considerably more fuel on yes, board than one yes. that's uh, that's coming in after a long flight. So indeed. Yeah, good, well, good work. So the next story, moving on, yep. is um, well, it's a special one, obviously for you, Matt. Yes, yes. It's, it's always, uh, whenever I open the show notes and I see that the first story I have is from the Sun newspaper, I mean, my heart just <laughs> um, jumps into glee and joy. I, uh, I don't know how you feel, Nev, obviously, when, when you see a headline. Nev's favourite read. Is it? <laughs> no. Okay, uh, moving on, uh, the Sun newspaper. Uh, the uh, headline is Ryan Scare. Oh dear. Uh, story number two, as you know, is always a Ryanair story. It says Ryan scare. Ryanair terror as drunk passenger grabs emergency door at 35,000 feet on a flight to Tenerife. This is not good news. A furious dad has told of his terrifying ordeal on a Ryanair flight when a totally slaughtered holidaygoer was hanging off an emergency exit door mid flight. So Alan Wilde, 47, was travelling to Tenerife with his girlfriend and his 11 year old stepson, but their flight from Manchester turned into a journey from hell the the uh, alan an engineer from cheshire said that they were sat in their seats when the boost up passenger boarded the flight on the 1st of august uh, he told the sun online we could hear some commotion going on at the front door basically this guy got onto the plane and was absolutely hammered he got to the door and he was swearing at the cabin crew at the top of his voice uh, to the point where my 11 year old stepson commented on how drunk he was he was telling them to pee off uh, and uh, was being abusive and loud, but they uh, didn't stop him boarding the plane. Uh, Alan told how the drunk passenger stumbled down the aircraft and, alarmingly, plonked himself down on the emergency exit aisle. He said some other passengers called a steward and said he shouldn't be sat there. This guy shouldn't even this guy couldn't even put on his seatbelt. Uh, if uh, you read the emergency exit conditions, a legal requirement, you've got to be mobile, not hammered, and in full control. Although I don't think it actually says that specifically <laughs> in the thing. Uh, but the cabin crew weren't interested. They kept telling everyone, if it escalates, we will deal with it. So they went. To, so we went along with that. Uh, however, just 30 minutes into the flight, the sozzled passenger vomited all over himself and the aircraft. Alan mm. said, uh, you can imagine the smell. I, had, I, I saw his bag open. He'd consumed three quarters of a bottle of whiskey. The cabin crew left him covered in vomit for about 20 minutes. He was unable to deal with it himself. His friend was trying to sort him out. Uh, he then sat there spitting on the floor and hanging off the emergency exit door. His arms were all over it. Uh, everyone was sat there thinking, what is going on here? Everyone was very frightened. Everyone within, with a 10-seat radius was well aware of the situation. It was absolutely awful it was a nightmare it made a four and a half hour flight feel like 12 hours everyone was terrified i won't go on uh you get the gist um it's another another case of we need airlocks on aircraft what <laughs> to dispose of them like, <laughs> yeah. right. i mean uh, nev i mean oh, what dear. what can we say how many times have we got to have this conversation yeah. about behavior on flights um, I know. caused by drinking too much before they even get on the plane. I know he said a bad word there. No, right, um, okay. But, uh, the, uh... Yes, it, it, it's got to stop, and it's got to stop at the check-in or before they get on the plane, isn't it? Simple as that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, some things that worry me a little bit in this story actually were the fact that apparently, he, you know, it would appear he was very clearly very hammered from the outset as he was boarding the plane. I mean, I, I, I can't help but feel this maybe should have been dealt with at the gate. Um, it is incredibly yeah. concerning that he has sat in an exit row. That presents an incredible safety safety risk. Look, look at the story that we just talked about. I, imagine if you had this gentlemen there uh now that's just an extra thing that the cabin crew or the passengers surrounding mm. him have have to it's another obstacle to, to getting out of that aircraft yeah um, so that is incredibly concerning to me on Ryanair's part mm. yeah uh somebody's saying in the chat room here actually if you're on an emergency exit row you must be capable and responsible for opening the door which is very true of course yeah. it's, and, uh, and booting uh, said passenger well and, and, and what, during my more nervous phase of being a um you know uh, being on a, on a plane i have actually been offered the row seat and declined it because i'm literally like i wouldn't know what to do in that situation mm. and then ended up and, and then gone and sat somewhere else just because i know how important it is if you see what i mean as, mm. as to to what you're allowed to do yeah, well, it'll happen again. We'll be covering a story yeah, similar week, to probably. this next yeah. week. So, Nev, moving it'll on. Jet, it'll, it'll be Jet 2 next it'll week. It'll be Jet yeah, 2. Yeah, yeah. We haven't had a Jet 2 one for a while now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nev, the next story is regarding a question I think you always ask yourself. It is, and it's on the thepointsguy.co.uk, uh, and they've been taking a leaf out of the Flight Global website with an excellent font, so it's very easy to read. So... Uh, <laughs> That's a good thing. And the question is, which is better, British Airways Club Suite or First Class? Well, there's been a huge amount of attention given to British Airways' new and much improved Club Suite, which debuted uh, on its new Airbus A350 aircraft last week. BA also plans to install the new product on some of its Boeing 777s. Uh, while the club suite will be the highest and best class of service on BA's A350s, the 777s will also feature a slightly refurbished, smaller first class, mm. which will be quite similar to the existing first class product. But with such an improved club world product in club suite, which product will be better? First of all, the similarities between the products are substantial. Both feature a one-to-one layout seating in a reverse herringbone layout. Ooh, matron. Uh, meaning each seat angles into either the window or the center of the plane. Direct aisle access, so no climbing over a neighbor to get to the aisle. That's my favorite bit, actually. Uh, smaller, intimate cabin with dedicated crew, though the club suite cabin is significantly larger than the first cabin. The big X factor of the club suite product and the biggest benefit it has over first class is that each suite has a sliding door. This provides for more privacy than any other class on British Airways. So why would you pay more for first? Well, the difference is in the soft products. So that's the food, drinks and bedding service, which was upgraded uh, this year. Uh, the website reached out to BA directly to ask about the specific differences and the, uh, they provided the following list. Speedier check-in and security at Heathrow T5, thanks to the new first wing versus fast track for club. Three-bag luggage allowance versus two in the club class. 
Concord Room lounge access at Heathrow Airport with an a la carte menu and spa treatments versus limited buffet in club. Um, you get Temperley lounge, uh, sorry, London loungewear, slippers and amenity bag with Elemis skincare products versus basic amenity kits in club. Meridian headphones versus basic noise cancelling headphones in club. Increased privacy, privacy because of a much smaller cabin. Dine on demand versus fixed meal times in club and higher standard dining and fine wines with crockery, cutlery and mm. glassware from William Edwards, Studio William and Dartington. A larger bed with a foam mattress and microfiber mattress topper and a 400 thread count bedding versus a basic flat bed with basic bedding in club. It's just like a Ryanair 737 isn't it really? <laughs> Um, but of course, uh, BA insists that all of these elements combine uh, mean that the first experience is significantly better than the club experience and therefore justifies the higher price tag, whether in cash or Avios. Uh, while BA does not currently have the best reputation in either class against the likes of Qatar and Cathay Pacific, the carrier continues to invest in its soft product to bring up the quality of that of up to other world-class carriers. And BA offers uh, first on many long-haul routes, whilst the club suite will be slowly introduced on some routes, beginning with Madrid, then Dubai, Toronto, Bangalore, and others to follow. Ultimately, whether club suite or first is better is up to you and what you value most. But I still think that... The leap to first class is a massive price hike. Mm. It's not just a little bit of an increase. It is huge. Can we can we try for an upgrade in November, Nev, or do you think that'll be... <laughs> Let's see how we get on. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, for that kind of money, I mean, you'd like to be able to take home the, uh, you know, the twenty-eight thousand thread blanket or whatever. I mean, you, you, and the cutlery and all that kind of thing that they're boasting about. Surely, you should be allowed to take that home for that kind of money. I mean, when you read that, you know, when you look at how the the products that Singapore and and Emirates offer and 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 Etihad, you know, when you read this, it sounds like this is like something really incredibly amazing, but. I've seen the, the suites and the first suites and stuff on on you know um, Emirates and Etihad and that, and they are really, really high end. Right. You know. Okay. But I mean, the BA or what I will say is the BA ones do look very crisp and kind of, you know, business like. Okay. Right. I think. Right. Uh, like as if they might be being used by business passengers, for example. Well, you need to be to afford to, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, to buy yes. a ticket. I, I've seen never, uh, never show me the price of these first class right. tickets. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. 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 More than yeah, you earn as, in a year. As, <laughs> as Nev was reading that list, I was thinking to myself, well, I'll be able to compare the Elemis uh, skincare products before and after the flight as I board the airplane airplane turn right and head to my seat at 43 f <laughs> <laughs> that is true because well, oh. you bought it in duty free rather than, than on the edges yeah i'll be able to see all those refreshed people leaving first class as Lovely. i yeah struggling I mean, that, with all the, that, that, the babies that, and the chickens and coach just just drop the ptuk name Armando, you well, know. And then get kicked off the flight. Then, no yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, moving anyway, on. Anyway, moving on. Yes. Armando, the next story uh, is uh, is one uh, one for you. Yeah, this is pretty cool. I, uh, same story, different source. Uh, grandfather took 33 of his family members on a trip to Hawaii using more than 1 million Southwest airline miles that he had racked up. Mr. Sam Pratt from Longwood, Florida, 
flew family members aged two to 72 uh, over to Hawaii for the trip last week. The family used the trip to celebrate the fact that Pratt had entered remission in stage three blood cancer diagnosis, according to a press release from Southwest Airlines. When we heard the doctor say the words remission and that he would be able to live with us with this type of cancer, then he got cleared to fly and we were just jumping up and down. Uh, Emily Peterson, Pratt's daughter, told my state line, the news source, uh, Pratt had miles through other trips and credit card points. During the vacation, the family also celebrated birthdays, anniversaries, and even had a gender reveal party. Never in a million years did we think this would be possible. This is a dream. It truly, truly is, Pratt said. Southwest Airlines invited the Pratt family to be VIP guests at an event at Queen Surf Beach on August 10th as a thank you for being loyal customers to the brand. Uh, the event featured live music, games, free movie screening. Uh, Southwest Airlines spokesperson praised the company's rewards program, saying, we've put a lot of heart into our rapid rewards program. Members enjoy flexibility, plenty of award seat availability, and places to travel to, and the overall uh, best overall service to fit their travel needs. Those are the elements that our members value most, said Southwest Airlines. Isn't that nice? Being having the ability to do that for so many people, he must have really have, um, you know, racked up yeah. the points. Yeah, that's a lot of miles, isn't it? That is a good lot for, of miles. Good for Southwest Airlines for recognizing it and mm. then taking it a step further and and throwing them that party on the beach. So, mm. yeah, it's a it's, it's a good story. news story. It's a good news story for change. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is on the Express.co.uk. One of Matt's favourite publications. This uh, headline is EasyJet passengers shocked when he spots something very wrong with an aircraft seat. Now, we covered a story, oh, you guys covered a story a few again. weeks ago about a seat back missing. Yes, I it think, was several, didn't you? In fact, I think yeah. it was three, I think, were missing. Uh, so, the, uh, this, is a, this is a new one. So, uh, we're moving into different parts of the seat here. So, an EasyJet passenger was amazed when he spotted an aircraft seat with no cushion. Uh, on the flight. A photo rapidly going viral again on uh, Twitter uh, came a week, just uh, just a week after a backless aircraft Oh, so this is a separate seat. incident? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I know. They're, they're gradually removing this seat, you see. They're going, right. you know, okay. going through the motions. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, the passenger noticed this seat with uh, with no cushion on the bottom, and uh, he said, "Where the seat cushion should be, uh, there was only a thin sheet of metal which could be seen. The back of the seat remained intact, unlike the one a few weeks ago. However, there was still a seat belt present. Uh, he sh the uh, man uh, was about to sit down on the rather uncomfortable seat, uh, while a second showed him uh, on the cushionless perch. The YouTuber captioned a pair of photos that he took. Laugh out loud! Check out this seat on my flight. However, he pointed out that no one was actually sat in the seat for the flight. Then he tweeted, just a heads up, no one sat in the seat next to us. He was laughing. So EasyJet explained that the seat cushion had been removed for cleaning and confirmed that no one had sat on it during the flight. An airline spokesperson told the, uh, told the Express the seat cushion was removed for cleaning. No passengers were p permitted to fly in the seat uh, and it was inoperative during this time. Uh, safety is our highest priority, as it always is with airlines, and EasyJet operates its fleet of aircraft in strict compliance with airline safety guidelines. Nevertheless, uh, the photo attracted plenty of attention from Twitter users who shared their thoughts on the bottomless seat. 
And uh, one of the comments saying, EasyJet coming in with those luxury seats. One person commented on another. Uh, he said that looks very comfortable. The unusual looking seat uh, came uh, just after a week after an EasyJet came under fire on social media for a backless seat. So you guys covered this a few weeks. I think that was the last week or the week before on the show yeah, with the, these, uh, the backless seat. There, there it is. Yeah, the backless seat. Yeah. I mean, so, so this is actually slightly different in the fact that it's a, it's it's the cushion, bottom cushion seat. that's missing now. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm and I'm, uh, Neil uh, Neil Lamborn in the chat room says uh, that's Captain Al's ventilated. Good uh, point. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's more for the benefit of the passengers nearby, of course. Now, too. as Express always does with their news stories, they've got one of these little questionnaire things on the website oh, where right. you can click on and they ask a question and there's a simple yes and no answer. Now they're asking on here: Have you ever spotted a seat missing parts on a flight? Yes or no? And uh, I'm going to click no because I've never seen. And let's have a look. Oh, yes, 80% of people have not seen an aircraft right. seat okay. uh, with missing parts. So <laughs> that was a risky strategy, wasn't it's, it? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's safe to say it's not a common occurrence. No, and but, also, um, it, I mean, uh, Nev, I mean, do you agree with me on this? This is a bit of a non-story, isn't it? Essentially, they it, even the person who's posted it has gone to great lengths to say that nobody was sat mm. in the seat during the flight. But do you not think, though, in this situation with an airline like this these aircraft are being used really heavily doing multiple trips in a day do you not think there's kind of like a storage area where there's some spare cushions that they if one's covered in something they can remove it put a spare one back in its place wouldn't that make sense no i don't know nev would that have to be maintenance that did that wouldn't it mm. Well, may, maybe, but uh, yeah, this I think this was a slow news day yes. somehow. So yeah. uh, they they need to to fill fill some column inches or centimeters with <laughs> with something, and mm. uh, that that's what they've done. Yes, <laughs> yes, and didn't they do well with with a photograph <laughs> that they nicked from um, YouTube yes. and everything? Yeah, yes, mm. I like mm. that. So moving on to uh, to the next story, and uh, Matt, this one uh, is uh, an ultra long range story. For oh, you. goody! Because we all know how much I love to be in the air. Um, one mile at a time is the uh, publication that we're reading this from, and the headline says Airbus expected to unveil A three fifty one thousand ULR, and I assume that the ULR stands for ultra long range. Yay! Get me. I might actually know stuff Woo! by the what, what ten years, something like that. What they can't see on the on the live feed is a big plan on the wall here with all the abbreviations. What they can't on. see is Carlos busy writing it down for me, like <laughs> showing it up on cue cards. Anyway, uh, we know that Airbus and Boeing are competing to build the world's longest range aircraft. Currently, the world's longest range aircraft is the A three hundred and fifty nine hundred ULR. This plane is exclusively operated by Singapore Airlines on their routes from Singapore to Newark. Los Angeles and San Francisco, all to American uh, locations, which is interesting. However, some airlines want more than the 9,500-plus mile range offered by that plane. For example, Qantas wants to launch non-stop flights from Melbourne and Sydney to London and New York, which is something they're referring to as Project Sunrise. Uh, both Airbus and Boeing have been competing to try and build something to Qantas specifications, as presumably uh, other airlines might be interested in this as well. The assumption is that Airbus will be building a modified version of the A350, while Boeing would be building a modelled, a modified version of the 777X. In June, Airbus confirmed that they had built a plane that was capable of meeting Qantas's needs, uh, though at the time they didn't provide more details of what that would look like. Well, 
While they still haven't officially confirmed anything, it's being reported that Airbus is preparing to launch the Airbus A350-1000ULR, which presumably would be the plane they've been talking about. In other words, this plane would have the capacity of the A350-1000, which is bigger than the Dash 900, while it would have even better range than the A350-900ULR. Qantas's desired non-stop flights from Australia to London and New York would cover a distance of 9,950 miles to 10,573 miles. Mm. So they'd need to have a bit more range than the A350-900 ULR, uh, especially if they're hoping for a denser configuration. Uh, Singapore Airlines A350-900 ULRs only have 161 seats with business class and premium economy and no economy. Oh, wow, that's a comfy-sounding plane. Uh, this also greatly limits the weight of the planes as well as fuel burn. So the bottom line, uh, we'll have to wait for an official announcement from Airbus, uh, though their concept of the A350-1000 uh, ULR sure seems likely. Airbus had officially confirmed they've developed a plane capable of operating Qantas's desired flights non-stop, and as a concept, the A350-1000, uh, not 9000, uh, ULR, uh, ULR. That's next year. <laughs> next year is exactly what you'd expect it'll be interesting to see if that's what Qantas goes with or if Boeing has a contender as well regardless it sure seems like Airbus is kicking Boeing's butt lately uh, that's partly due to Boeing's ongoing problems I'm not even going to read the rest of that yeah, it's, it's good it's good that you know they're having these ultra long range aircraft to obviously do these longer routes so we can get to somewhere in one hit rather than 20 yeah. hits yeah, but yeah. I think we can all agree that if they're going to make these aircraft uh, fly for a lot longer and a lot further distance to not squeeze a hundred more seats in and yeah. leave the um, you know leave a, a decent seat pitch in economy for those of us who can't afford business or no. first, wouldn't you agree, Armando? I do agree. Um, yeah, I was I was reading a, a separate article on a different website about the keep the economic viability of the A three fifty one thousand XLR or ULR and. Um, they, I guess Airbus's biggest issue to overcome with this is the gross weight of the aircraft to make it economically viable with cargo and passengers and get the fuel needed on board. That's the biggest stumbling block that they need to get over. Nev, any uh, thoughts? Because I know obviously BA have got the 350 and they're, um, they've got 17.5 inch uh, pitch on their world traveler. Well, I think the thing is that the uh, desire for ultra long range travel clearly is there and with the a350 and the dreamliner uh, and the variants that they're offering now um, this is going to be possible whether you would want to do a slog from melbourne or sydney to london um, in economy i don't know um, but yeah it, i when I've the, the two times I've been to Australia, I've actually quite liked the the couple of days layover that I had in Singapore, uh, just to recharge the batteries slightly. Um, so, but of course, both the seven eight seven and the three fifty uh, have the lower cabin altitude. So I think it'll be interesting to see how what what condition people arrive in at, at the other end, even in the cheap seats. Mm. So um, we shall see. We shall see. Yeah. And if anyone's listening from Qantas and they want us to trial the uh, the flight 
Mm. Um, yeah, obviously, I'm, I'm all right, thanks. Matt's I'll, not no, bothered. No, no uh, he'll, I'll, I'll he'll, sit this one out. It's fine. He'll he'll go on the wing. Um, <laughs> right, but, Willie. Uh, okay. Yeah, me, Armando, and uh, Neville will, will, would love to try. You know, the, yeah. The, we can, you know, for the for the purposes of research and mm. uh, podcasting, we can meet in the middle, and you guys go cool. from London. I'll start in JFK. And we all meet in Sydney. Oh, oh, okay. oh, oh, well, there we are. That's that's, that's lovely. Excellent. Right. Uh, may, maybe another plea for Patreon donators. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know. oh. So, Nev, moving on. The next story is uh, a special one I chose just for you because it is incredibly tech orientated. It is. It's on the ttgmedia.com website, which has the most huge amount of advertising I've ever seen on any <laughs> website. So I don't want to click anywhere because I'm going to go off to some sort of weird uh, advertising portal if I'm not careful. But uh, this is all about uh, BA trialing onboard virtual reality headsets. And uh, BA has begun trialing these onboard VR headsets in a bid to offer passengers their own 3D cinema in the skies. Ooh, From like now that. until the end of 2019, customers traveling on selected flights from Heathrow to uh, New York's JFK in first class will be able to view films, documentaries and travel programs in 2D 3D or 360 degree formats. Uh, the headsets allow customers to fully immerse themselves in 3D regardless of the position that they are sitting in and even works when lying fully flat. Now, can I just say straight away, I think there's going to be some problems there, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Um, but uh, Saida Ismail, who's the BA's head of in-flight products, said, we're always looking at the latest technology to enhance our customers' experience on the ground and in the air. Virtual reality has the power to revolutionize in-flight entertainment, and we are really excited to trial these new glasses as they should create a unique and memorable journey for our customers. Well, there, there is no doubt about that whatsoever. And if, you're, if you suffer from motion sickness at all, um, and if there's a little bit of turbulence going on, that's going to mess with your inner ear and, and the balance like you wouldn't believe. But we'll have to see how it goes. But, um, yeah, this is certainly a, a new experience, but it's only available in, in first class on those selected flights. That's a shame. That's a shame. Well, I, I did throw up my hands when, when you said, ah, oh, it's in first class. I said, well, I guess I'll, I'll never be able to see this. But I, I have a proposition, <laughs> which is put 360-degree cameras on the tail and on the belly and then pipe that to your 3D glasses, Ooh, and then yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. I would awesome. Like that. Yeah, that's need, a really good. We need idea. to tell them about that one. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and I, I really sincerely hope that on their list of films that they're going to uh, allow people to watch in 3D on said VR it's got headsets. Top Gun, Top Gun 3D. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, that's got to yeah. be in there. Yeah, um, yeah. as long yeah. as it's not. Um, what, airplane is it? As long as they don't put that on the oh. box set or <laughs> air or crash some... investigation no, in 3D. No, no. In 3D. <laughs> oh, oh, it's good. It's good. It, it, the, the actual system that must run this must be one hell of a, uh, a warm running system. I'd expect Nev, all the processors and stuff. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. But uh, let's see how it goes. Mm. <laughs> Actually, Connor's, Connor's just said in the. In the in the chat room here, he's just saying, he's, uh, yeah, but if you fall asleep and woke up, would you like literally wet yourself? Because he's like, you wake <laughs> up and suddenly you think you're outside the aircraft. Oh, yeah, just a bit. That yeah, good point. Good point, well made. Yeah. <laughs> Armando, 
we've got uh, a nice little story for you now regarding a kind of a UK-based airline. Yeah, I feel like this is my penance for saying last week that I'm biased towards Boeing. I've gotten all the Airbus stories today. <laughs> it's, your, it's your punishment. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, simpleflying.com, Virgin Atlantic has the keys to its new ride and is gassing up the tanks ready for its first mission. With inaugural service earmarked for less than a month's time, here's what you need to know about getting on board that very special first flight. If you're as excited as we are to get a close-up look at Virgin Atlantic's shiny new A350-1000, you haven't got long to wait. First services are set to launch in under four weeks' time with the carrier operating the new bird on the flagship London to New York routes. Gulf Victor Lima Uniform X-Ray, otherwise known as Red Velvet, arrived at Gatwick Airport last weekend. Some were confused as to why it went to Gatwick when the inaugural flight will be from Heathrow, the likelihood is that it will it's a lot easier for Virgin to have it close to their headquarters in Crawley than on the other side of land, uh, London. And of course, they needed to apply that all-important new Virgin icon to the side of the airplane. Nonetheless, the initial flight will be from Heathrow, so if you're really lucky, you might get to see it in disguise over London prior to its first flight as it ferries from one airport to the other. Uh, the very first flight is scheduled for September 10th, 2019. The flight, uh, Virgin 153, will leave Heathrow at 13.30, arriving in New York's JFK at 16.25. Following a leisurely two-and-a-half-hour turnaround, the aircraft will be ready to take off again at 1900, arriving back at Heathrow the following day at 7.20 in the morning. Now, we do have podcast royalty captain Nick in the chat room, and I would love to hear his take on this. And Definitely. if excited on it well it just so happens we've got him here nick how are you nick <laughs> oh i'm all right <laughs> that that is the quite possibly the most offensive <laughs> wow uh, uh, dear dear captain dear uh. dear captain I, on behalf of plain talking you can i would like to distance myself from the appalling I need a beard. I need a beard. I don't know. From from all of us here in North Carolina, that sounded pretty good. Right. Okay. Oh dear. Sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Never disappeared. Um, uh, no, it's uh, it's uh, it's nice. I do. I, I've always said that the uh, Virgin Atlantic's livery looks awesome. I really do love the that color that they have on that red color they have on their yeah. aircraft. It is awesome. Yeah, I agree. And I think a couple of weeks ago we were we were showcasing their interior that they've designed for this aircraft, mm. and it yeah. It looks gorgeous. I'd, I'd be uniforms really that go with it as well, isn't there? There's there's a there's a whole sort of mm. rebrand almost that's sort of yeah. wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to uh, to get a flight on this aircraft. Mm. So the next story is uh, on that awesome site again, the Sun. dot co uk, and a bit of drama. This one. This uh, is uh, the the headline: plane drama. Norwegian Air passenger aircraft damaged after crashing into fence at Gatwick Airport. So there's a, there's a little video of this as well, but uh, a 787 Dreamliner has been damaged after crashing into a fence at Gatwick Airport this week. Passengers were left shocked when the Norwegian aircraft was pushed back and uh, into the noise mitigation barrier, with emergency services rushing to the scene. One passenger took to Twitter, writing that uh, the tug pushes Norwegian 787 back in too far and hits part of Gatwick Airport perimeter fence. Fire crews uh, on uh, precautionary standby at the time um, were on obviously 
on standby. Uh, a photograph which shows fire crews on the tarmac as well as posted on social media. A Norwegian spokesperson said that we can confirm that one of our aircraft sustained some damage upon pushback on today's flight. They said this was flight D. Uh, D17017 from London Gatwick to New York's JFK. All passengers disembarked the aircraft as normal and were being uh, assisted by ground staff in the terminal. Uh, they said, as always, safety and well-being of passengers is top priority and they, they, well, they were making arrangements uh, to put the passengers on a replacement aircraft uh, that departed later that afternoon. They apologise also to the customers uh, and passengers on aircraft for the inconvenience. But this is not the first time we've had one of these happen, have we, on the news with uh, aircraft being pushed back into uh, either other aircraft or place, you know, other aircraft or walls. Uh, it says here that most of the pieces fell around the area, and um, actually, oh, there's another story here. Uh, 300. Oh, what was it? It's another airline story on here, which is tagged onto the bottom of this one. I don't know why they've tagged it on there. It's a sun to be it's fair. It's the, at the end sun of the day. newspaper. I mean, this is, <laughs> but, that's, uh, where, that's where Nev goes for all of his aviation related content, obviously. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand how there continue to be these types of ground handling incidents. I mean, we talk about it so much. Every, every couple of weeks, we do a story about this where airplanes are crashing into each other. It, it, it's just carelessness on the, on the part of the ground personnel. And uh, I don't, for someone who works daily around aircraft and moving aircraft, mm. I just don't understand it. Take your time is, is all yeah. it is. Some, some things obviously, either, either pilots are distracted or, you know, something has obviously gone awry or that just, you know, his, as you say, really in a scenario like that with so many people around and, and all that, really stuff like this shouldn't happen, should it? I mean, it shouldn't be. No, and it's a, and it's a seemingly innocent accident, but... I mean, this is going to cost the, the airline Big tens of thousands yeah. of dollars, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it may have only scratched the airplane or broken off a, a static discharge, you know, wick or something yeah. like that. But all those passengers have to deplane. They have to baggage. rebook them. The yeah, airplane yeah. is out of service. The mm. baggage, the cargo, jeez, mm. uh, you know, and then the time that it takes, th that crew may time out by the time they get a replacement aircraft. Jeez, yeah. uh, I, I hope, you know, and, and over in... Well, I think more and more here in the U.S. too, but these these uh, third-party ground handling companies, you know, where it's not part of the airline, mm. um, I I only hope that... Bless they... you, Megan, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the sneeze heard around the world. <laughs> do you not, do you not uh, think, Armando, as well, that the airports around the... Well, not just in the U.K., but airports in general, uh, major airports are getting more and more congested. There's more, you know, going on. Yeah, certainly that that is a factor. And as they try to pack more aircraft in there, you know, and so Meg and I were just in Chicago and uh, we spent, I don't know, probably six hours waiting for on a layover. And they had the designs for the future Chicago Terminal 3, I think it was. Don't quote me on that. But uh, but yeah, they're just continuing to pack more gates, more, more airplanes, getting it more crowded in there. And uh well, there are regulations that govern all of this, but but the flip side of that is is the ground personnel need to be uh, trained to that level too. So you can't you can't just uh, get yeah. you know minimum wage personnel and and move a fifty million dollar airplane. Yeah. It's a bit more expensive than dinging a car. At the yeah. end of yes, day. yes, just slightly, just yes. slightly. Yeah. So the next story, Matt, 
that uh, for you is uh, yeah, I quite like this one actually. It's, um, There's another quality publication here in the I UK. Know. It's the Mirror. Everyone, we've gone from one red top to another, uh, <laughs> and the headline is: Delighted passenger gets own private jet after finding flight is completely empty. Uh, a man was delighted to discover that he was the only passenger travelling on his flight, allowing him to experience what it's like to fly in his own private jet. Only, let's be honest, not really. Uh, Vincent um, Pione, Pione? Uh, Pione sorry, noticed things were quieter than normal when he arrived at the airport for his 7pm Delta journey from Aspen, Colorado to JFK Airport in New York. Earlier, he was disappointed to learn that the first leg of his flight to Salt Lake City in Utah had been rescheduled for a later takeoff time. But that disappointment soon turned to elation when employees told him that he would be enjoying the entire cabin to himself without the threat of having to share armrests. I mean, one would like to think perhaps they sort of shoved him into business class and sort of, you know, treated him. But anyway, Vincent Pioni, a filmmaker from New York City, documented the entire journey on camera and posted the results to social media. Uh, the video shows how Delta check-in staff played along with the joke, asking, uh, will the only passenger on board this flight please board at this I time? The 35-year-old says it was the first time that he'd ever flown on a solo flight. He said, uh, I didn't know that, it was the, uh, that I was the only person on the flight, so I arrived at the airport, which is a very tiny airport, and at the desk they were like, I don't know if we even need to make the announcement because it's just you. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, it would be a very intimate safety briefing, wouldn't it? I mean, it's just like, uh, anyway, you get the gist of the story. Is I was like, oh no, uh, oh no, do the announcement. Obviously everyone really enjoyed playing along. Uh, he watched uh, on as airport staff loaded the plane with <laughs> sandbags, to add extra weight to make up for the lack of passengers. I mean... I love this next bit on the story. There. Yeah, OK. So Vincent also received his own personal greeting from the flight attendant, oh. who cheekily asked that he stay in his allocated seat as his flight was about to take <laughs> off at one stage. He is even allowed to enter the cockpit and shake the hands of the pilots, allowing him to live out his own childhood dream of getting inside the cockpit. <laughs> now, hang on a minute. What, while they were in the air? No, no, it's no, on the ground. Say, right, okay. It's on the ground. Well, that's nothing unusual. You do that all the blooming time. I mean, you're poor wife. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, the final scene of the video cuts to a triumphant Vincent standing on the doorway of the jet as he holds a drink in one hand. Um, anyway, yes, you, you get the idea. Do you know, I can only ho hope, Nev, that this happens with me and you in November. Yeah, uh, right. Would that or not be <laughs> awesome? <laughs> it would be, but the chance of that, I don't think. Well, Zero. we'll see. Yeah, yeah, you, never yeah. Know, you. <laughs> you never know. You never truly know. Have you ever sort of been in a similar situation, Armando? No, I haven't. I wish. Yeah, absolutely. We've had a couple of stories like that. So, I mean, now, I, I mean, obviously, I, I, I'm sorry to be boring here, but presumably they needed that aircraft in New York. I mean, I can't think of any other scenario where one passenger would essentially be taken like just it, mm. it you know it, it, they must have been needing to reposition it anyway that's the only thing i can think of because i mean i can't think of it you know like deadheading back to it does say at the bottom of the story actually that he said that uh, during an interview with the washington post uh, he revealed that delta staff told him that the cost of flying him to salt lake city would have cost somewhere in the region of between thirty thousand dollars, which is around about twenty-four thousand yeah. uh, sterling UK pounds. Oh no! I have breaking news. Oh, Chris Griggs is correct. Delta has responded. Delta says passenger who posted viral video of private jet experience 
boarded flight that never took off. Oh, really? Delta Air- Delta Airlines said Wednesday that a passenger who posted viral video purportedly showing him looking into a private jet experience was the only passenger never lifted off. Uh, it did push back from the gate, but shortly returned due to a maintenance issue. Oh, no. The, the aircraft departed a, a short fire. time later without any customers on board. Was it a mad dog? No. It was a Bombardier <laughs> regional jet. Okay. Oh, oh no, Chris! No. In the middle of the show. Oh. <laughs> Chris, I I if I could high five you, Chris, I would. I mean, I, I mean, you know, it's just as well he's a Patreon donator, isn't it? Because it's like you know, he's basically ruined the last four minutes of the show. I mean, honestly, <laughs> free mug, free mug for Chris Griggs. Yes, yeah. I think so. Yes, yes. Leave that with me. Uh, yeah, Chris, send us an email. We'll we'll send a mug off to you. I think. Yes. Never mind. <sighs> anyway, right. So, well, that's, I feel a bit deflated now. I know. I just, <laughs> whose go is it? I don't oh, care Nev. anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nev, what, what, Nev, what's happening on this next story, Nev? Well, it's on the Daily Mail, of course. Oh, and, for goodness' um, sake! Have you run out of quality publications this week, Carlos? <laughs> However, I'm pleased to say oh. this is talking about someone that I interviewed a couple of years ago, and uh, it was a very, very interesting interview as well. And I'll read you the story, and I'll tell you all about it. It's um, it's all about uh, the ability to fly on a private jet for less than the cost of a trip ah. with Ryanair. Um, if you thought you needed to be incredibly wealthy to afford a trip in a private jet, you would be wrong. Luxury travel experts have revealed that you can actually fly in one for less than the price of a Ryanair flight. Michelle Robson, editor of Flight Tip site, Turning Left for Less, and her deputy ah, editor, yes. Paul Kosler, snagged a trip on a private jet for just £250 each, exclaiming that they felt like celebrities. Uh, Paul shored up the validity, the validity of the comparison with uh, Ryanair fares on his write-up of the trip by posting a screen grab of the uh, Ryanair flight from London to Parma on August the 22nd that costs £269 per person. Their swanky flight was between Luxembourg and Dusseldorf on board a Citation CJ4 and came courtesy of Harnair, which says, Michelle, it's a slightly different type of private jet operator because it offers regular scheduled flights. And uh, there's some nice pictures of them on the flight uh, there. Uh, Michelle and Paul's tickets granted them access to the business class lounge at Luxembourg Airport, which apparently wasn't terribly impressive, but it did offer them views of their private jet on the tarmac. Describing the journey on it to mail online travel, Michelle, whose site offers advice on how to get champagne travel on a Prosecco budget, said, when we arrived at the jet, we were all instantly loved with the experience already. We felt like celebrities as the pilots personally welcomed us on board uh, the sleek aircraft. Uh, we are lucky enough to fly business and first class regularly using our luxury for less tips. Travelling on the jet, however, was something else. It felt like we had only ever been on a bus and we were now travelling in a Porsche. Uh, <laughs> the takeoff experience was stunning. With an open, open cockpit, we could see the same view as the pilots. We soared into the sky at an amazingly steep rate of climb. Uh, once at cruising altitude, we could have a drink or snack, or even more importantly, for an aviation buff, have a look at the cockpits, uh, cockpit and chat to the pilots. 
Uh, this would never normally be allowed on larger aircraft due to security. All too soon, the experience was over and we were landing in Dusseldorf. The trip, which they just did for the experience, was organized with the help of ITA Matrix, which is the search engine that powers Google flights, and the private jet was booked using Expedia. Uh, BA offers flights to Luxembourg from London Heathrow and from Dusseldorf back to Heathrow, from £118 return, though Michelle and Paul both used Avios points to pay for their BA flights. Well, that's a, that's a nice story. But actually, more importantly for me is how well Michelle and Paul have done with their website. They, mm. When I first interviewed Michelle, it was quite an early stage of the development of what they were doing. Now, there's just so much information that they put out. It's fantastic. So I'm very pleased to be able to plug it for them. So if you do a search for turning left for less, uh, then you'll see all about Michelle and Paul's travels around the globe. I th we need to try this. I want to. I want to have a go at it. Because we, we went on the business check, mm. didn't we, in, at uh, Farnborough uh, last year? We uh, went on board, yeah. didn't we? And uh, it'd be nice to be in one when it was fl when it's flying to have a go. So if anyone's listening and has uh, has a business jet and would like to offer the PTUK team a flight, just uh, drop us a line. Usual. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure of the legalities here in the U.S. We have uh, two operating uh, procedures, I guess, operating regulations. We have the FAA Part 135, which is an on-demand carrier, and Part 91, Subpart K, which is a fractional ownership opportunities. Um, and there's there's different uh, regulations and minimums and aircraft uh, certification criteria for each one and pilot certification criteria. And I'm always amazed that, that there's not a company, well, there, there may be, that just these empty legs so when an aircraft has to go from let's say charlotte to uh, little rock arkansas to pick up a passenger well that's an empty leg why don't they you know at least do something like this and sell that off for mm. for two three hundred dollars at least to recoup some cost and give somebody the opportunity to do something like this but i don't know i i personally don't know of anything like that but that, what a great uh opportunity that would be huh Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, guys, I should just uh, apologise for those watching. We are having a few bandwidth issues here in the studio uh, this evening. Uh, it is unfortunately something that's slightly beyond our control, so please just bear with us. Um, but, uh, yeah, as I say, unfortunately very little we can do at the moment. For some mm. reason, we've got a few uh, issues with uh, our networks here today. So the next story, or the last story in the commercial news segment this week, uh, falls with you, Armando, and it's uh, worrying news for anyone who's... Uh, wanting to have a, a kind of reasonably priced transatlantic flight. Mm. Yeah, Norwegian Air has just stated that it's ending its transatlantic service between Ireland and three U.S. and Canadian airports because of the grounding of the Boeing 737 MAX aircraft, and that makes the routes no longer commercially viable. The Oslo-based carrier announced Tuesday its last flights from Ireland to Stewart Airport in New York's Hudson Valley, TF Green Airport in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, would be seven four, uh, September 14, and its last flight to Ireland from Hamilton, Ontario, will depart on September 13. The airline says the decision reflects uncertainty about when or whether the troubled Boeing 737 MAX will return to the air. Uh, Norwegian bought the 737 MAX specifically to support service between Europe and smaller airports across the Atlantic. Um, so there you go. 
It's, uh, and could I just uh, j jump in there to say how well they've done by showing a picture of a 787 in the article? <laughs> oh, no, really? Oh, hang on. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just popping that up now. There we are. So, uh, right. Well, didn't they do well, look? Yeah. Really well, it does say that the, the, the file photo shows a Boeing 787 being built for Norwegian Air Shuttle at Boeing's assembly uh, facility in Everett. Mm. Uh, great. Well, why talk about that yeah, to then show absolutely. a picture of... Uh, also, anyway. I, I think when, when, I follow, when I was following this story, um, actually, when it, when, when it was sort of going out live, I, I do seem to recall, I think there was a tweet that had been put by, very cheekily by Aer Lingus underneath it. Uh, where they'd sort of said, uh, uh, you know, it literally, it just had underneath, under the bottom, the, the phrase like cough, cough, as if to say, like, <laughs> you know, uh, we're still doing it, guys. Because, mm. um, and of course, um, yeah, Aer Lingus do, don't they? They, they, yeah. they fly to yeah. similar locations in the States um, from from Dublin and Shannon and all sorts. It's a shame, so. actually, that they've stopped doing this. I think, Amanda, you, you've flown with Norwegian, haven't you? I loved Norwegian. Yeah. Both Meg, Megan and I have used Norwegian, and and I really, really was a big fan. Uh, I was on a Dreamliner uh, every time that I used them, actually, and it was from Gatwick to a couple different destinations. I think I flew to New York and then Gatwick to Oakland, California, and that was a fantastic flight, despite it being eleven and a half hours or something like that. Mm. So I was a real or I am sorry. Don't don't mean to speak to about them in the past. No, no, sorry. No, not yet. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I am a huge fan of of Norwegian Air, and I I really truly just wish them the best. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll still see them in the flying the seven threes. Well, the eight hundred series in the skies over us. Uh, for quite some time. Well, let's hope so. Uh, essentially, in the story, they're citing the fact that they're 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 waiting on the max still. Then presumably. Yeah, it's knock-on effects, I think, mm. with uh, with this Max uh, kind of thing. I so they're not saying deliberately so much chose not to put any stories in this week for that uh, for the Max, but right, uh, yeah. okay, somehow but. somehow it's wheedled its way in there twice. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so moving swiftly on, that is where we bring the commercial news stories to a close this week. But uh, we have got some military news coming up in a bit. But first, uh, Matt, uh, cast your mind back a few weeks back to when I was busy working my day job and uh, sorry now when you say that you have to say when i was <clears throat> busy when i was allowed a day's <laughs> grace by my boss stuart to uh, go and visit a certain uh, aerospace bristol museum uh, in bristol while i was there working and uh, yeah i got the chance to uh, have a good look around the museum and meet all the people there who were fantastic i will say again and i got to interview uh, uh, a chap there and talk about how the museum works so here it is so it's carlos here and i'm at aerospace bristol taking some time out of uh, my busy work schedule to come and spend a few hours here at the museum and i'm here with oliver oliver what's uh, your role here at the museum um, so I started off as a host um, working on the floor and now I'm a supervisor here and uh, in charge of tours and talks at uh, Aerospace Bristol. Excellent. And uh, the, the, air, the museum itself, Aerospace Bristol, I'm guessing it's uh, quite a busy museum to run? Yes. Um, well, we're relatively new. Our first year we exceeded our expectations. We had 160,000. We predicted 110. So it's, it's going really well and uh, we have lots of things going on. It's fun. So tell us, Oliver, a bit uh, about what you've got here at the museum for, uh, for people to come and see. 
unlike um, some other aviation museums, we're very much focused on our story, which is the Bristol uh, aviation story. So aerospace in Bristol, starting in 1910 with the British and Colonial Aeroplane Company and continuing to the present day with BAE Systems and uh, Rolls-Royce and Airbus, etc. Many companies here, so it's still a very important site. And you've also got um, a, a quite an iconic aircraft uh, not far from where we are here uh, on display as well, haven't you, Concorde? Yes, possibly one of the most iconic aircrafts, um, and uh, ours is the last to fly, last to be built, but uh, all the British ones, as I'm sure many of your listeners know, uh, were all built here in Filton. So you've got quite a, um, quite a good past here in the, in the area that we are with the museum. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's one of the most important aviation sites historically and still uh, to this day in the world. Um, and we're very proud to have Concorde and some of the volunteers who work here uh, actually help build her, all the engines. Um, so uh, we've got a wealth of knowledge here. So what about some of the other aircraft you've got on display? I mean, we're standing on uh, quite, quite another uh, prominent British-built aircraft here. Yep, we're on uh, Britannia here. This is uh, the second ever prototype. It's the, we've only got the front section because it was turned into a trainer after it crashed in the Seven Estuary um, due to catastrophic engine failure uh, with a Dutch KLM executive on board at the time who was looking at buying them. KLM never bought a Britannia. So it's a lovely aircraft. I think there's one of these, I think, at Duxford. There is indeed, yeah. Um, static display outside, I believe. Uh, I've been on it. Yeah, it's uh, nice to see it uh, fully intact, but we're quite pleased with our one as well. So just walking around the museum myself and you've got uh, the, the display you've got on here is I have to say it's really good you know some of the exhibits you've got on here are fantastic to look at some of the old uh, displays of the wooden you know prop original you know old 1900 style aircraft and that um, how, how did you come across a lot of these bits and pieces that you've got here? Um, so I presume you're referring to our Bristol Scouts and our Bristol FTB fighter and um, they're actually both replicas um, as many uh, biplanes you see now in museums are, um, because unfortunately they don't stand the test of time. Although uh, I am pleased to say uh, we will be restoring an original Bristol fighter um, in the future, which we acquired from America. Um, so that would be nice to have uh, an original one. But it's still nice to have the replicas. They're beautiful machines. They're all built to flying spec as well. The Concorde you've got here, as you said, is the last one that uh, that was built. Uh, just how hard is it to kind of to look after the aircraft here at, at the museum? Um, so uh, it's uh, largely uh, looked after by, uh, it's still owned by British Airways, as all the British Concords are, so uh, we, we have to always check with them um, what we're doing with it. So we have uh, recently this year reactivated its uh, lowerable nose, or droop snoot, as I quite like saying, um, and then we've been, uh, so we had to clear that with BA, but uh, we're going to be displaying that on odd occasions, sort of high days and holidays. So if you're ever visiting, check our What's On page and you might want to swap your days and come when we're lowering the nose. So what's some of the other aircraft you've got here on display, uh, Oliver, in the, in the building? Um, so, you know, we're a new museum. We're open in 2017. Um, so this is uh, what we've currently got is uh, the beginning of our collection. And everything is in some way related to, to Bristol be it uh, either the engines or the aircraft themselves. But uh, one of, uh, I think, the most special is our twin rotor um, Type 173 helicopter, which was the first twin-engined, twin-rotor helicopter ever built in the world. Um, obviously now the RAF used Chinooks, but uh, initially they uh, used the Bristol Belvedere, which was developed from the Type 173. 
And also, uh, you've got a couple of fuselage sections as well from uh, an aircraft. I think a lot of our listeners will know, especially ones in the UK, the uh, BAE 146. Mm -hmm. Yep, and that's, of course, the Royal uh, plane that they uh, are the RFUs. Yeah, and it's quite nice to have the cut-throughs. Um, it's lovely to have whole aircraft, but sometimes uh, it's nice to see how it's actually built and uh, how very thin the fuselage is, which does shock a lot of our visitors, but um, we reassure them that uh, this is standard and it's perfectly safe. Uh, it's all about saving weight, um, you know, fuel efficiency. And um, I do always say uh, compare it to Concorde, though, because it had a much thicker fuselage due uh, to the altitude it flew and the supersonic heating uh, it was subjected to. I think for me as a passenger, and I know I've taken some pictures as well on the way round here as well, you know, like you said, to have that cut-through section of fuselage um, gives quite a good, um, you know, a, a view of exactly how an airliner looks in, in that kind of way. And it's, it's good that you guys have got that here um, to enable that to people to see, you know, just what goes on below, below the seats as such when you're sitting on the, air, on the aircraft. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, and uh, some of our other things... Uh, Another one that surprises people is the uh, um, Airbus A319 wing, which is a cut-through as well, um, and you can actually manipulate that and uh, deploy it into its different flight characteristics, which uh, even some pilots come who obviously operate them, or maybe not that particular type, but operate these things regularly, they're quite surprised to see it up close and personal, because normally you're miles away at the front of the cockpit, um, and you don't see the cut-through either. So um, we'll hopefully appeal to people who have no interest in aviation or aerospace or engineering through to people who uh, are heavily involved but still uh, learn something and see something a bit different um, which uh, I think we're managing to retrieve but uh, hopefully in the future we'll get even better. So have you got any plans for the future? Are there any aircraft, um, I mean can you tell us, are there any aircraft that you're hoping to get here in the museum perhaps in the future? Um, so we have a reserve collection which is currently stored um, in Bristol in the Braverson hangars or the aircraft assembly hall where uh, Braverson was initially built and then Concorde later on and many other iconic aircraft passed through there. Um, so we will be adding to our collection. Uh, next year we're hoping to open a, re a restoration hangar which is in a World War I uh, hangar. So we've got four hangars on this site, uh, only two are currently open. Um, so next year we'll be bringing in um, the Bristol freighter which we flew over, well shipped over from New Zealand. Um, we've got a Bolingbroke um, from Canada, which uh, will be actively restored as well, uh, as well as the Bristol Fighter, uh, which I mentioned earlier. So uh, I can't give any more away, but uh, those are three iconic aircraft from very different eras that did very different things, but, uh, and they're all Bristol. And for the military people who listen to the show, because we do have some people who love the military grey stuff, as uh, Captain Al would call them, uh, you've also got uh, Harrier here as well, having you on display. Yes, uh, in our sort of Cold War section, um, uh, we've got a Harrier, um, plus uh, lots of uh, missiles and uh, a Chevrolet nuclear warhead. Um, but the Harrier's connection to Bristol is the, uh, the engine which Sir Stanley Hooker designed. Uh, he was obviously a Rolls-Royce man initially, then he came to Bristol to modernise the engine department, Bristol engines, and then Rolls-Royce saw that as a threat, so they bought the entire engine department in 1966, I think. Yeah, it's good to see uh, to see you know, the Harrier and stuff here because obviously we don't have those in the UK anymore. Although they are still being used in the Spanish Air Force, I think, still the uh, the Harriers, which we sold to them. Um, so moving on then uh, to the actual kind of outlook around the site and stuff. You've got Airbus literally on your front door, uh, one of the factories here. Do you have some? You know, do you have good ties between you guys and and you know Airbus and the museum? 
Yes, um, they were one of our big sponsors, as was uh, many other companies, Rolls-Royce, GK, etc. Um, yes, and they, they're often here having conferences and events, so uh, we work closely with them and uh, very pleased to as well, as um, they help us with Concorde as well. And you've also got an A320 SIM I saw just a minute ago. Yes, uh, A320 SIM, not open to the public yet, but uh, you may have seen some volunteers in there working. Um, we're, uh, hoping no, I saw the uh, Windows screen on the <laughs> display. Yeah, I think they're just uh, updating some software, but uh, yes, that's uh, something we're hoping at some point in the future to be able to open to the public as a, uh, an extra cost, but uh, it won't be excessive. So is that uh, donated to the, the museum? Yes, that was uh, donated by, um, oh, I can't, can't remember their name now, Jet uh, something. <laughs> I think it was uh, like a sim, a sim company, I think it was, if I remember rightly, on the um, advert Jet, Jet Way or Jet Air. Well, it's <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'll put the note links in the show notes anyway for, uh, for that. But um, Oliver, so what are uh, your plans for the future for yourself within the museum? Um, well, um, I'm an aviation nut, uh, engineering nut as well, you know, transport in general, but uh, I'm very, very pleased to have started working here bef just before we opened um, and uh, very proud to be able to um, contribute at a higher level now, but uh, it's a great place to work and uh, not just the volunteers, but the staff, really good fun and everyone's passionate and uh, enjoys it. And uh, some people work here and have no interest in aviation and before you know it, they're uh, very, very interested. So a bit about yourself, Oliver, what your you know, aviation passion background, kind of where does that stem from? Um, well, I was uh, born in Newmarket and grew up in next to Mildenhall in a tiny village. Um, but from there, uh, back, in, back in the day, uh, I could cycle into the uh, Mildenhall Air Show. 50% um, of the people in my close were uh, in the uh, US Air Force. So uh, always been heavily immersed uh, in it and... Uh, I got free air shows daily. I just look up and watch all sorts of amazing things. Um, I saw Concorde there back in the day, and Blackbird, and yeah, off Offsprays nowadays are uh, chopping overhead with their. They're very noisy, but they're uh, impressive machines. Um, but it took a lot of money for them to build them. Uh, we did it with Harrier first. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the Ospreys, it is it is awesome. I, I'm very lucky enough to go on board one of those uh, a few few months back, but. Um, so what else uh, are you more of a are you more of a military side or do you prefer the commercial stuff? Um, well, both honestly, but uh, initially it, when I was younger, it used to be military. In fact, I have to still ration how much military books I read. Otherwise, <laughs> that's probably that and sci-fi. I probably wouldn't read anything else. But uh, I'm interested in most things to some extent, but particularly engineering, aviation, transport, uh, history, war, social history. Yeah, pretty much everything. <laughs> Any commercial airliners uh, stand out for you that you've flown on? That uh, I mean, because we always have this big divide on the show where we have the the Airbus half and the Boeing half of the listeners, and there's always there's always a big divide between. Uh, um, dare you say what uh, what your poison is? Um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go Airbus uh, because of our connection, but uh, Boeing is an iconic uh, company as well. But uh, you know, Airbus is very much close to Bristol and. Uh, the more I learn about them, the more impressive they are. And one of the questions, Oliver, before we wrap up, is we always ask this question to uh, to pilots and uh, people we interview within the industry and the aviation network. And uh, it's a kind of uh, put-you-on-the-spot question. And uh, but it's easy, don't panic. Uh, so given the chance to fly any aircraft, um, any aircraft, military, commercial, be it retired or still 
in working, you know, still flying in commercial service or military service, what would you love to have a go at flying? So I've got to pick just one. Just one. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll let you pick two. Okay. Uh, Spitfire and Concord. That was quick. That was, that's uh, obviously, uh, you, you, you know what you like. Uh, very much, but given the chance, fly on everything, why not? So you don't fancy the um, the trip on the uh, Spitfire, flying the Spitfire out, uh, I think they have one uh, at Goodwood? Um, I, I actually know, um, um, well, in, I used to know uh, the Grace Spitfire. The oh, Grace yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, I don't get any, I can't jump the queue, unfortunately, and uh, <laughs> it still is expensive. But one day, hopefully, I'll get to fly in one of the Grace Spitfires. Excellent. Well, great choice in aircraft, Oliver. And uh, it's been great to speak to you today, and thank you for taking time out of your day to uh, come and chat to the listeners and chat to me today here at uh, Aerospace Bristol. It's been great to talk to you. And uh, all the best for the future with the museum. And uh, just before you go, uh, for the benefit of the listeners and those um, may, who may be in the UK who want to come and visit the, air, um, the museum, where can they find out more about uh, Aerospace Bristol? Um, so we're on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, etc., or our website, aerospacebristol.org. Excellent. Thanks, all for your time. Take care. Thank you very much. That was awesome. I really thoroughly enjoyed my day there. And, so what was the um, highlight for you, then? Well, the, I don't know. The highlight, I think, was how friendly the staff were there. They were really good um, and were pretty much you know talking to me most of the day while I was there the various staff members were who were looking after the various aircraft were very informative and they're all volunteers as well which is another another really good thing but uh, the museum is is really well laid out um it's it's just got so much to see and also they've got a really good restaurant there as well um, point that out. <laughs> wow we um, did really well there it's, I know. Like, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's not bad you know like four minutes in and he's yeah. mentioned food <laughs> but uh, no it's good to speak to oliver he's uh, he was really good he took a you know he took some time out of his uh, day because they are quite mm. busy there because you know the, the museum is fairly fresh and new they're okay. still doing a lot of things there but uh, if you're in the bristol area in the uk and uh, you want to have a, a you know sort of take a bit of time out of your day to go and visit uh, yeah you need to take yourselves over there and have a look around because it's well worth the entrance fee mm. yeah so there we go so we're going to hand things over next uh, to uh, our military aviation expert armando yeah that's right guys we've got some military stories to wrap up the show if you're ready nev Yes, so I am. Carlos, are you ready? Oh, covered in grey bits. Uh, and I'm the man sorry. Questions... <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, cuffs match the collar. It's being anyway, married. Sorry. It's being married. So our first story was actually sent in by a new listener to the show, Mr. Logan Lynch. Uh, this is from the today.com website. And it goes, Brian Knight was just five years old when he saw his dad alive for the last time. His father, Colonel Roy Knight Jr., was an Air Force pilot who fought during the Vietnam War. In 1967, Knight said goodbye to his family at Dallas Love Field Airport. Uh, later that year, he was shot down in Laos. He was declared killed in action in 1974 after search efforts failed to find him. 
Then, earlier this year, Knight's remains were last discovered, uh, were at last discovered and identified. And in a touching tribute, Brian Knight himself brought them home. Now, a pilot for Southwest Airlines, Brian flew his father's remains back to Texas, to the same airport where they had said goodbye more than 50 years ago. We had pretty much given up any hope that this would ever happen, Brian's brother, Roy Knight III, said to today. We're absolutely amazed how this came to pass. Roy Knight served in the Air Force for more than 20 years at bases in Asia and in the U.S., and his wife, Patricia, raised three children, Roy, Gaynon, or Gayen, uh, and Brian, the youngest. Bringing his remains home after so many years was an emotional experience for everyone. The airport fell silent, and air- airport workers stood at attention as the colonel's family received his flag-draped casket on the tarmac. For Roy the colonel's oldest son, it was a bittersweet moment of closure. It was beautiful, it was emotional, it was sad, but it was good too. It was like the end of a journey. Um, this is a, a great story and, and this is a, a sort of a little known a corner of the Department of Defense. There is still an agency called the Defense Prisoner of War Missing in Action Accounting Agency who to this day, since the Vietnam conflict, continues to work in that region to repatriate the remains uh, of missing personnel. And they, they are, it's a joint organization that is, continues to be funded despite any changes in government. And uh, as of last count from June of this year, uh, the original missing in the Vietnam conflict was 2,646. Uh, to this day, 1,058 have been repatriated and identified, leaving 1,588 uh, personnel unaccounted for. So these personnel go out there, they interview villagers, they have linguists, they have logisticians, they have communication specialists, they have forensic scientists that go out there and they will go out to um, either known or suspected crash sites or, or sites where they can recover, if nothing else, a, a piece of an aircraft that they knew that that, that person was flying, um, but, but it, even better to recover any uh, remains. So that's, uh, you know, we have a, a saying that says we never leave a man behind, and uh, that is true to this day from the Vietnam conflict so many years later. That's a nice story. It's, it's an incredible story, mm. isn't it? And uh, and well, well done to everybody involved. That is, there's actually there's actually a video on South Southwest. have got a YouTube page, and they've actually got a video that um, that covers this story as well on there. I don't know if you've watched that, Armando. And it's a really good video. And yeah. um, I did watch it the other day, and mm. uh, yeah, 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 yeah. definitely, um, yeah, brought a tear to my eye. I'm not going to lie. Yes. So uh, thank you to Logan for sending that story in. Obviously, very much appreciated and very beautiful too. So next story is uh, on the military.com uh, website and uh, the headline majority of C130s returned to service following wing crack inspections. So the US Air Force has given the okay for a majority of its C130 Hercules's fleet to fly again after about a quarter of its cargo aircraft were grounded last week for precautionary inspections. As of August the 12th, good date that, 
88 aircraft have been inspected and 87 returned to service, Air Mobility Command spokeswoman Rose Riley told Military.com on Tuesday. Uh, one aircraft was identified with a crack and appropriate measures were being taken to address it and repair it, Riley said in an email. Tremendous progress is being made to inspect all remaining affected aircraft and we continue to safely support operations around the world, she added. Last week, General Marianne Miller, head of uh, the Army Marine Corps, ordered 123 of the 450 C-130 models on Air Force flight lines to be stood down as a safety precaution after atypical cracks were discovered on the lower center wing joints, also known as the rainbow fitting, according to a service news release. Uh, the order applies to the C-130H and J model aircraft that have not received the extended service life center wing box and have greater than one or oh, well, 15,000 equivalent flight hours, officials said at the time. Uh, those aircraft began an immediate time compliance technical order, or TCTO, uh, inspection to identify and correct any cracking to ensure airworthiness of these C-130 aircraft, they said. Uh, rainbow fittings provide structural support within the wings. Over the uh, last few years, fatigue cracks have been a common in the wing centre uh, structure. Uh, there were 96H and 36J variants impacted. Of those, 123 were on the flight lines. Another eight aircraft were already in depot. Another was transfer, uh, transferred to the Boneyard, according to uh, AMC. Uh, Major Jonathan Simmons, another uh, Army Marine Corps spokesperson, said Tuesday that eight, the 88 aircraft already inspected were among the 123 C-130s that were in active service at the time of the time compliance technical order. This is a significant progress and we are proud of the hard work our airmen are putting into uh, thoroughly inspect and safely return these aircraft to the skies, he said. Uh, they did not provide a timeline for completing the inspections or finishing any of the required repairs and the service uh, itself flies the H and J models of the C-130 uh, and the C-130E was retired in uh, 2012 and it also flies the AC-130J, U and W ground attack variants. Uh, the Air Force said it would share its findings with other services that fly the C-130 models. And the Navy and Marine Corps began their own assessments of their C-130s aircraft following the Air Force's announcement while the, C, uh, well, the services have not grounded any C-130 aircraft. Naval Air System Command's Tactical Airlift Program Office began evaluating the fleet for problems and Lieutenant Travis Callaghan, a spokesperson for Naval Air Forces, told Military.com on Friday. Now, I remember seeing a few stories about this online actually this week and regarding these, and they, they were sort of explaining how they do the repairs and how they strengthen these um, particular center wing sections up of uh, of the aircraft. But uh, it's quite, I mean, they're quite a robust aircraft, Armando. You know, these, these aircraft are kind of chucked around uh, around the sky and, and the ground as well. You know, rough landings, off-field, off you know, landings and stuff. Yeah, the the H and J model C one thirties are are used worldwide, and they are subjected to some additional stresses. Um, that this has kind of been going on since two thousand seven. So in in two thousand seven, I remember there was a, a huge uh, safety inquiry about C one thirty center wing box issues, um, and the the logistics center down in Robbins Air Force Base had to come up with a fix. Um, and, and they did. So 
this, you know, considering the number of C-130s that are out there operating this uh, sort of small chunk of the fleet that met all of the parameters to be um, stood down and was a pretty, pretty small number, I guess, in the big scheme, but um, I'm glad they're addressing it and uh, I'm sure they'll come up with a good fix for it. Mm. Nev, a uh, interesting story about uh, some naughty Russians next. Just for a change. Yeah, I think the map wants to uh, bring up some photos whilst I'm reading this, but uh, it says that uh, in a dramatic aerial intercept reminiscent of the Cold War, a pair of uh, USAF F-22 Raptors, two Canadian Forces CF-18s, a US Air Force E-3 Sentry AWACS supported by a US Air Force KC-135 Strato tanker and a C-130 tanker under NORAD control intercepted two Russian Tu-95 Bear H-bombers over the Arctic Beaufort Sea's international airspace on Thursday, August the 8th. The intercept happened early on Thursday, north of the Alaskan and Canadian coasts. The F-22s involved in the intercept uh, wore the Alpha Kilo tailcoat of the 477th fighter group at Joint Base uh, Elmendorf-Richardson, the very first Air Force Reserve Command F-22 Raptor unit. The likely squadron involved in the intercept was the 302nd Fighter Squadron. The encounter produced some dramatic photos from the crew, crews likely on both sides. Uh, these exciting photos from the US and uh, Canadian flight crews were shared on social media only hours after the successful intercept it's likely that we'll be seeing photos taken from the Russian Bear H's in a few more hours, it says. Uh, The 80s, or the uh, uh, Air Defence Identification Zone, where the intercept occurred is in uh, international airspace that uh, extends 200 miles from the US-Canadian coastline and is monitored in the interest of national security. Uh, US territorial airspace begins only 12 miles from the coastline. Russian aircraft stayed well clear of the 12-mile U.S. airspace limit during the encounter between the three countries. A week ago, uh, radar surveillance showed that two Russian aircraft had also entered the uh, 80s of uh, Alaska and Canada, but these aircraft were not intercepted by U.S. or Canadian forces. The last encounter between U.S. and uh, Canadian aircraft and Russian aircraft in the region happened back in May when uh, Russian aircraft entered the 80s on uh, over two consecutive days. Uh, while the specific reason for the intercepts are unknown, aircraft sometimes fly near international borders to collect data about a country's air defense network and to collect mapping and signal intelligence to build a communications and early warning order of battle so that ra- radio and radar frequencies can be identified and catalogued for future use. The missions may happen periodically as the electronic order of battle is changed frequently to maintain operational security. Russia has flown these missions, whether they are training sorties, uh, electronic intelligence gathering missions or something else, two or three times a year during the past few years. Depending on the weather and the time of day, the intercepts, when and if they happen, can produce incredible photos and video. The United States also conducts similar surveillance missions close to Russian open airspace areas for likely related reasons. Uh, In a boilerplate official statement about the intercept, uh, NORAD Commander General 
General Terence O'Shaughnessy said NORAD's top priority is defending Canada and the United States. NORAD operators identified and intercepted the Russian aircraft flying near, near our nations. Uh, General O'Shaughnessy went on to say whether responding to violators of restricted airspace domestically or identifying intercepting foreign military aircraft, NORAD is on alert 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. On August the 8th, Russian activity had also taken place in international airspace near the UK and the Baltic Sea. Uh, the story goes on to say that uh, RAF typhoons uh, in the quick, rea quick reaction alert or QRA scrambled from uh, RAF Lossiemouth with an RAF Voyager from RAF Bryce Norton to monitor two Russian TU-154 anti-submarine warfare aircraft approaching UK airspace. So there's quite a lot of uh, pictures there as well. And um, yes, it's, it's nations just testing each other out and just... Yeah. Flirting, flirting with borders, <laughs> if you will. Yes. <laughs> These TU-95s yeah, yeah. first flew in uh, 1952. Wow. Yeah. Well, the, granted, uh, our, our B-52s have been around just as long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But as old and, and as sort of, you know, these, these aircraft are, they, they are, I, I don't know, there's something about them, the, the TU-95, that I just find... You know, really interesting. I just, I, 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 there's something about the word as well, Dubilov. Mm. Yeah. And he's also these engines on these as well. They have counter-rotating props, so the the props rotate um, in a you know different direction. Each okay, I'm sorry, Mister Mister yeah. Mister Muppet here. Mister, yeah. <laughs> it needs needs to ask a question. So what, what, does that, what, why, yeah. what, what does that? What? Why? What? What does that mean? What does that do? Mister Layman here. Armando. Uh, so aircraft engines generally produce a torque that can be adverse uh, if you lose an engine. So um, when you add counter-rotating propellers, whether it's in a helicopter or a uh, engine facing forward, uh, what that does is, is eliminates that that uh, adverse torque that that is uh, placed on the airframe uh, if you happen to lose an engine. Oh. So sometimes you see it like some light light twins will have counter rotating propellers on either side so one spins left or clockwise the other one spins counterclockwise but then there was there's been designs all the way back to the early years of of aviation to um, to put them sort of in, in line and there, there was some pretty cool airplanes produced in world war ii actually with counter rotating propellers up front and i i don't think it was a twin mustang i oh, but there was a mustang-esque uh, looking airplane that had two propellers up front and it was um, that was the purpose of it, and and then you, there's thrust advantages to it, to having two propellers up mm. there. Okay. Um, going back to this story, I, I think it's interesting, and it was mentioned. Nick, uh, Captain Nick, called me out on this uh, one time on this website. Is that the author is a former Italian Air Force second lieutenant, and it's always uh, dubious when you see I was a former second lieutenant, which is where you start in the Italian. Or in any of course, really. <laughs> um, <Okay>. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I, but I, I thought it was interesting that he focused on the the picture part of it, and sure enough, the 
It is the Ministry of Defense and, and the U.S. Mm. Air Force and NORAD that are putting out official pictures via Twitter yeah. um, as sort of an information operations campaign. It's kind of a game changer almost, isn't it, really? I mean, when you think... It really is, I mean, yeah. so so secretive normally. You've got to mm. Completely understandable. Um, but th- whether this some of, some of this also is a little bit sort of both parties showing off a little bit because <laughs> yeah. there isn't really a lot going on and so it's an opportunity to get some nice photographs and stuff maybe. Yeah, I mean, prior to social media, you you had to rely on print news, yeah. or may, maybe it made it to a news story, a television news story that that aircraft were intercepted. But now, with the instant access that we have with social mm. media, both of these parties are able to to put out their messages straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is true. It's interesting. Uh, well, so we're going to move on to the last story, and I think this one's been chosen. What specific- hell? Well, uh, this one I think has clearly been chosen by Armando for me because he knows how obsessed I am <laughs> about his fabulous beard. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so this is on the Sun newspaper. Uh, I'm slightly worried that you've managed to find it over over in the States there, mate. So apologies from all of us here for that. Uh, and uh, the headline is Royal Hair Force. Oh, even the puns are horrendous. Nev, this is one for you. I, I think. think. I think. You should, I think you should read read the whole story in a in a Royal Air Force. I say what? Pip pip. Chocks away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so uh, Royal Air Force. So Hair uh, Force. Uh, RAF Airmen uh, allowed to grow beards for the first time in forces one hundred and one year history to promote inclusivity i'm not entirely sure how that promotes inclusivity perhaps it will become clear so raf airmen are allowed to grow beards for the first time in the forces 101 year i hate it when they do that where they do the headline and then repeat it um but the fuzz must be trimmed and neat uh, cover the whole jawline and be no longer than 10 inches senior ncos will be the arb- arbiters of uh, what qualifies as acceptable new chief of the air staff chief marshal mike uh, Wigston uh, is thought to have agreed to the new policy an RAF insider said it's all about moving with the times but there will still be rules we won't be having unkempt beards or wacky designs it needs to be trimmed and neat standards are most definitely not slipping a spokesman for the force which allows uh, mustaches said uh, this change allows serving members of the RAF to wear a smart neatly trimmed full set beard whilst maintaining high standards of appearance uh, he said it was hoped the move would promote inclusivity broaden the recruitment pool and help us re- retain our highly skilled personal personnel uh, although to be fair I, I would imagine that um, highly skilled personnel, you know, and are, are not going to refuse to do it because they have to chop off their beard. But mm. uh, anyway, the change will bring uh, the RAF into line with the Royal Navy. Uh, the army does not allow beards unless for religious or medical reasons. It has no plans to change. The MOD said. There we are. That that is the story. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's Armando. Uh, you can join the Royal Air Force. Well, you know yeah. what? I would I would join the Royal Air Force just for the fact that I could have a beard. You would absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, I I'm, I do love the fact that the senior non commissioned officers will be the arbiters of this. Right. Which means which means you'll have a sergeant that is able to go up to a pilot and say, Meh, I think that's a little too long. Yeah. <laughs> 
this is it. And I think some of this will also depend on how well they get on with the individual as to whether they say yes or no. Although perhaps that's a highly a controversial thing to say uh, in a time where everybody is equal, I dare say. But uh, it's... Uh, I don't know, a small part of me is slightly... Uh, I mean, when you go back to, like, sort of, like, the First and Second World Wars, I mean, and this may be um, the way that, that some of these people have been... Um, portrayed on tv but I'm, I'm using blackadder as an example here blackadder <laughs> goes forth and obviously uh, during uh, that uh stephen fry had a rather spectacular um mustache uh as part of his thing now i mean what, what i mean was that a thing uh in in like the earlier wars and stuff where the the generals and stuff were sort of you know sporting fabulous mustaches oh yeah yeah I, it has a little bit to do with the aerospace flight equipment or what do you call it the aircrew air flight equipment aspect to it the mm. life support equipment um so i think in i don't know how world war ii masks used to fit on the face but as as the systems get more and more complex uh so i know in modern fourth and fifth generation fighter aircraft and our, our other military aircraft they uh, or high performance aircraft even in the civilian world that that mask and the regulator is all fitting you know pretty pretty close to the face there and, and has to stay on there through high g maneuvers now that our 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 brothers over at apg uh talked about this a little bit from the airline industry because i think um uk airlines have allowed beards for a little while while right. u.s airlines still say no it's not a thing for us you still got to be able to put on your mask and uh the debate shall continue but i, I was glad to see that the raf is finally loosening up a little bit <laughs> absolutely so that is where we bring the uh the military section to a close thank you for some great stories as always armando we've got uh, before we start to wrap up actually i just want to uh, make special mention if i may we've had some cracking emails this week haven't we, we had a lovely email from uh, um a new listener stephen hitchin uh, which was really really nice thank you very much uh, for that uh, ray davis we've had some as well so we've had loads and logan lynch obviously uh, i see we've had an email from a, from a certain uh, a certain Megan Carrion as well. I, I noticed oh, uh, just come in uh, uh, just before we did started we? the show. Yes, yes, we did. Uh, anyway, well, you, you can look it up and, and, and find out. Uh, so please do uh, <laughs> let us. Uh, please do get in touch with the show because we love to hear from you. Uh, we do. Uh, you know, feedback, good or bad. You know, we make the show for you. So if you've got any suggestions about how we can improve uh, what you're receiving every week, then do please get in touch. Nev, how do they go about getting in touch? with the show well you can go to our website which is uh, plaintalkinguk.com you can go to twitter uh, at plaintalkinguk you can go to facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk as well and um, uh, if you want to email any of us directly it's either carlos matt nev or armando at plaintalkinguk.com and don't forget, tomorrow, if you are off to the Biggin Hill Festival of Flight, me, Matt and Nev will be there at the show, uh, well, probably fairly early in the morning. Yes. <laughs> and uh, safe to say, Matt will be driving the TriStar van, that's for sure. Uh, but we'll be there at the show tomorrow, and uh, we're looking forward to getting some great content yeah. uh, to play out on yeah. uh, future shows. Uh, of what goes on at Biggin Hill, because for a lot of people, they actually haven't been to the yeah, show. Yeah, because it's the first one for me. First I mean, one for I, I'm Matt, really yeah. excited. It's, it's going to be good fun. Yeah, we're looking uh, forward to Have you to been that. there before, Nev? 
No, I haven't actually, no. So, a bit of first time for me too. Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, there's loads going on there tomorrow, so we're looking very much looking forward to a, a full, you know, fun-packed show. Absolutely. Yes. That's where we need to wrap up, guys. I'm oh, afraid. really? Yeah, sorry about that. Oh. Yes, I, look, just because you've been missing for like what I feels know. like a, like know. a century, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, yeah time to bring things to a close. Thank you very much to everyone for watching and listening. Uh, thank you to those on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast from. Thank you so much for downloading this every week. We really do appreciate. It. Thank you to our Patreon donators that we make, mentioned at the top yes. and our PayPal donators. Don't forget if you want to, to donate towards the show, also and you're skint like me, you can do it by just buying things on Amazon as well. If you oh, yeah. buy stuff through the link, I do. Uh, then we can get vouchers uh, that we can then use towards technical equipment and everything. So that is where we wrap up the show. Uh, everybody needs to say goodbye. <laughs> what, really? What, really? Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's it. Yeah, it's time to go. Yeah, what's going So that is it then, for episode oh, go. <laughs> number 282 <laughs> of the show. Uh, don't forget to uh, keep your eyes on social media for we'll be live next week. We will announce we'll uh, announce day shortly. Uh, shortly. Anyway, but, come on, because uh, we take forever to wrap up always. So everybody say bye-bye, everyone. Are we do bye-bye, it on purpose. Bye-bye. No, don't do it. No, bye-bye. no. <laughs> <laughs>